You're listening to the Uncensored Direct Marketing Show. This show is designed for direct response marketers who want raw, unfiltered conversion tips and secrets to scale their offers profitably to reach their next million. I'm Maria Sparagas. I'm the founder of Direct Paynet and your host. Now let's dive in. Hey everyone, welcome to today's episode of Uncensored Direct Marketing. Today we're going to be talking about chargebacks and chargeback mitigation. And again, just kind of following up on my episode last week on declines, just talking about another area of your business where you can save some money and and make more money with a couple of steps and a little bit of effort. So you have your revenue coming in and now it's important to safeguard it. So this episode is going to help you safeguard it as much as possible. Obviously, chargebacks can never be 100% prevented because there's always going to be customers who are unhappy or you know some disputes and so forth. But it is a good idea to try to minimize them as much as possible. Even if you get to half a percent of chargebacks or 0.3%, you have to also add on other costs to chargeback. It's not just losing the revenue and the sale. You're also getting charged a fee. There's also time to process the chargeback. For example, if you have you know, a company disputing chargebacks or you have somebody on your staff that's disputing chargebacks. So bottom line is chargebacks can cost you anywhere between 2 and 8% of your top line revenue before you start getting rid of some expenses. So, you know, focusing on this area of business when your offer is dialed in and you're doing well, it's a good area because it could be, you know, low-hanging fruit that could add some valuable dollars to your to your bottom line. So, there's a couple of things about chargebacks that are important to think about. There's chargeback prevention and then there's chargeback you know, mitigation after they've occurred. So we tend to focus a lot on the aftermath. Once the chargeback has occurred, what do we do? How do we get our money back and so forth? But if you do spend a little bit of time of understanding, you know, how these chargebacks occur and why they occur and so forth, the proactive approach will obviously yield the best results revenue-wise because regardless of whether you win the chargeback back or not, you will still get charged that chargeback fee. And it does count against your, your, your chargeback ratio. So if you get 20 chargebacks and you win back 10, your ratio is still counted upon the 20. So, you know, unfortunately Visa and MasterCard do not uh, give you any brownie points for winning chargebacks back. So it's important to try to prevent as many as possible. If you're working in a space like supplements or adult or where, you know, you have naturally a higher chargeback curve, it's important to prevent them even more so because you don't want to get into any of your banks or processors radar. So think of a few tools and a few things that you can implement. And, you know, my approach is always start small, make little steps. You don't want to hurt your conversion. You don't want to have issues with, you know, your, your approval ratios and so forth. So pick a couple of tools, list them, create yourself an Excel spreadsheet of all the different things that you want to try or that you want to add to your shopping cart and then test them out. And when you do test out new things for chargeback mitigation or chargeback prevention, it's important to give them a couple of weeks or even a month or so to see, you know, their result and if they're working and so forth. Without further ado, I'll give you a couple of five, I guess, of my top favorite tools for, you know, proactively looking or preventing chargebacks. Uh, there's a, a slew of them and there's so many different intricacies that you can think about in each of the topics. But I, this episode is really just, you know, here are the main things that are available to merchants. I know a lot of merchants have you know, a lot of these different tools presented to them. I just wanted to kind of make everything in one episode where you can kind of think about 
things that you've tried or haven't and things that you could try. So, you know, one of the most popular proactive approaches is AI type uh, fraud software, sort of like there's count. That's a, a pretty big one. That's count K O U N T. Um, what they do essentially is you, you plug it into, you know, your, your checkout page and it verifies a lot of different data points on the transaction. And then it gives it a score. And depending on what the score is, then you're to say yes or no. So for example, transactions that score under 70, you could say these are blocked automatically. You can also say, you know, um, transactions under 70, for example, get reviewed before their process. So there's different ways of doing it. The important thing to understand is that count comes with, you know, out of the box kind of things that, you know, they recommend and things that work for most businesses. They don't apply to every business. So if you just take count and you don't really look at all the settings to address your business type, then you might get some false positives. You might decrease your conversion ratios you know, unknowingly because count has some settings that, you know, don't apply to your business. So count is a really interesting tool, but it's a work in progress. Meaning how I would start with working with count is I would take a very stripped down version and just have some very basic fraud checks at first. And then I would add upon those. I wouldn't start with the strictest ones and go the other way because I think it would hurt the conversions more like that than going the more conservative approach, which would be take some basic features of count, apply those. And then every couple of weeks or a month, once you understand what kind of effect it has and you've analyzed the data, then you can add more. Count does also add a per transaction fee. So it's important to make sure that you're using it and you're using it effectively because it could be 10 or so cents per transaction. Um, moving along from count, just kind of another thing that you can add on to count or you know, things that are, you know, if you, if you're not ready to go for an AI software, which many merchants are not a smaller step, but a, an interesting step would be to use the fraud settings within your gateway. So your gateway, uh, whether you're using NMI, authorized.net, or there's, you know, there's a whole bunch of them. Usually your gateway is agnostic to your processor, meaning you have your shopping cart connected to a gateway and the gateway is connected to the processor or your bank, whatever you prefer to call it. So the gateway is, in, is the layer in between that just processes the transaction. Now, a lot of merchants don't know, but that gateway and many gateways have a lot of fraud settings already built in there that you can just configure for your business model and you can start using them. They would not prevent, you know, sophisticated fraud or what we call friendly fraud, which is, you know, basically a customer that just regrets a purchase, but it could prevent some obvious fraud. It could prevent, you know, somebody going crazy and processing 10 or 15 cards one after the other from the same IP. It could prevent somebody using the same card over and over again on a daily basis to buy, for example, to con to collect a, an affiliate commission. You know, there there's a lot of different fraud checks. So you can, you know, put your AVS restrictions quite high your CVV restrictions quite high or somewhere in between. You could put maximum number of purchases per card number, per IP address. There's a lot of these different tools that are very interesting. And you just have to know what is your typical customer doing and then input those settings within the gateway. Also, a very interesting one that most gateways offer is maximum number of transactions per email address. So if somebody's trying to fraud you, just blatantly fraud you, a lot of times they have different cards 
but they don't have too many email addresses. So, you know, making maximum transactions per email and per card number will definitely, you know, at least just take out some of the obvious fraud. And these tools are just in your gateway. So you might as well just use them. Even if you use a couple of them, um, it's, it's kind of, you know, important and necessary to prevent the obvious fraud because you cannot claim ignorance. For example, if somebody comes to your online store and just buys, you know, a whole bunch of stuff and you didn't do any checks, you know, your processor will say, well, you know, you're supposed to check. You're not supposed to let people buy with the same card a hundred times the same product or whatever the case is. So this will just prevent, you know, your obvious offenders. Um, moving along from the gateway and some gateways offer 3D secure, 3D Secure is an authentication. Uh, basically, it's like 2FA for, for Gmail, but for credit cards. So it basically validates the card with something that the customer knows, whether it be a text message or some kind of other verification. This is now mandatory in Europe. So if you're selling to Europeans or if you're a European merchant selling to Europeans, then you have to use 3D Secure, which means your customers are getting a, an extra validation step on your shopping cart. 3D Secure was, I could say, you know, merchants hated 3D Secure. We called it, a lot of merchants called it, and, and you know, people in payments called it the conversion killer. Um, you know, it used to take customers from the shopping cart with an exit pop somewhere else to enter a password that they probably forgot and then drove them back to, to the, the merchant cart, which, you know, just saw huge drop-offs because it was just such a wonky process. It didn't really make much sense, especially with pop-up blockers and stuff like that. So Visa and, and, and MasterCard obviously tried to change that and address it. The interesting thing about 3D Secure is a lot of times when a customer has been validated already and has bought a couple of things from the gateway or the processor that you're working with, they won't have to revalidate. So it, it does have you know some intelligence behind it. You may not want to do it for US consumers because they're not ready, but there are 3D Secure seamless integrations. There's a lot of different things about 3D Secure. I will likely do an episode just on 3D Secure because there's so many things to talk about. But if you are suffering from high chargebacks or high losses because of chargebacks and refunds and so forth, adding 3D Secure to maybe a portion of your traffic or if you're, let's say you're in the US and you're you're seeing that you're getting a lot of chargebacks that are from non-US customers, well, maybe you want to use 3D Secure for non-US purchases. So Using these settings and using these different types of tools, it doesn't have to be an all or nothing solution. You could decide that 3D Secure will be applicable to all transactions that come from a specific region or a country and, or a traffic source. So it, it, it could be used very intelligently to, to just mitigate some of your risk. And it is working a lot better and the technology is a lot easier and, and customers are complaining less about it. We don't have data yet on, you know, whether it caused issues on conversions or anything like that, because it it has only been implemented, you know, a couple of weeks ago and, and merchants are still getting to to being 3D secure, it's compliant and so forth. So it will be an interesting test in a couple of months to see what impact it had on e-commerce in Europe. And eventually, you know, once the technology is uh, secure and, and built well and tested, it, it will probably come to the US and North America and have some, some use cases behind it because it's been used for a while in Europe. Moving along for, for proactive approaches, and this is something, this is a boring topic that people don't like to, to, to think about, especially business owners, but customer service. Customer service is often an afterthought. 
merchants, you know, oftentimes hire external firms, don't pay too much attention to who's answering their customers and so forth. This is a huge mistake. Customer service is a very big part of running a a direct response business or any online business for that matter. Customers do call in, they do want service, they do want to be answered in an appropriate manner and given correct information and so forth. And it really does help a lot of times charge back customers who charge back have called in customer service before. So if you do want to do an interesting kind of report is look at your chargebacks in the last two months and see how many of those customers actually called you. If you do have a database that can tell you, you know, which customers have called you before. And you'll see that a lot of them do call in and they're not satisfied with the answers. So their next call is the bank. So the ideal thing is when a customer calls your customer service, that their issue is resolved. So they don't feel the need to call their bank and they're given correct information. So if you do refund a customer, you know, telling them, for example, that it could take three days for it to show up on your statement is really important because if they hang up the phone and then a couple of hours later, look at their credit card statement and still don't see a refund, they might just call their bank. They think they're, they're scammed and so forth. So giving your customer service staff, whether in-house or outsourced, all the tools necessary and all the answers and and training them properly is really a great way to prevent chargebacks because customers want answers and they want them quick. So if they call your customer service staff and they can't get them, their next call is the bank. And that usually doesn't end well. Moving from customer service, kind of on the uh, setup of the business, there's your descriptor. So your descriptor is what shows up on the customer's credit card. Merchants sign up for their merchant accounts and then just start processing transactions. It's likely or possible that the descriptor that shows up on your on your customer's credit card statement is incorrect. What I mean, for example, there is a portion of the descriptor that is text. And then there's a portion that could be a phone number or a city where you're operating. Usually for online businesses, it's a phone number. So you have your, for example, abc.com, your website name or your business name, and then you have 888-555-5555. If that last digit is cut off on your customer's credit card statement, well, guess what? They have an incomplete phone number. They don't know who to call to get service when they look at their credit card statement. So they might decide to just call their bank because they don't know how to reach out to you. So the important thing is once you get your merchant account and then on a regular basis, Sometimes these things, they change, somebody changed something in one system or there was a transfer or whatever the case is, and a descriptor is changed randomly. So it's important that you test your descriptors. Go into your gateway, do a $1 transaction, and then check what shows up on the credit card statement. It's important that the full phone number shows up and it's important that your full descriptor shows up. So if customers want to go to your website or want to call you that they'll be able to do so just by looking at their credit card statement. This is, you know, a a very simple tip that's very much overlooked, but test your descriptors. I would also suggest that you test your descriptors with a Visa card and a MasterCard. And let's say a Discover, if you accept Discover and Amex, these are four different card networks. It does happen that the descriptors entered separately for each of these different card brands. So test your descriptors with each card type and wait for the transaction to settle to make sure that it shows up correctly on the online statement and on the paper statement. So keep in mind that the descriptor, the text portion should be maximum 23 characters and the phone number, or they call it the city field, which either shows a phone number or the city that you're operating should be maximum 13 characters. So make sure that you're under that. I would say, you know, 
make sure you're under 22 and 12, just to be safe. You don't want to go to the maximum uh, and perhaps have an issue. The next thing that, that will help you figure out why chargebacks are happening and how to prevent them is really to do an analysis of your traffic. Uh, what I mean by that is you might be buying YouTube ads, Facebook ads, you might have some affiliate traffic, you might have traffic from all these different sources, and you're looking at your, your chargeback rate globally, you're looking at your refund rate globally. And the issue with that is that if you have 0.7% chargebacks, you're like, well, you know, I'm under the threshold, it's fine. But you may notice if you analyze your chargebacks per traffic source, that it's, for example, your YouTube traffic that's bringing in the most fraud or chargebacks or your affiliates are. So, you know, by analyzing exactly each one saying, you know, and, and it's usually a very simple report and you can get that from, you know, any CRM that you're working with, or you can do a, a data dump from your gateway and you can add like a custom field in, into your transactions that could tag, let's say, the traffic source it's coming from. So you can just do a data dump, grab it, sort it by traffic source, and then see, you know, where are these chargebacks coming from? That analysis is, is super important and understanding, you know, where your chargebacks are coming from will make you understand if the customer journey maybe is incomplete in one way, or maybe there's misrepresentations or something that's not, you know, up to par. Same thing, you know, if we dig in a little bit more on the affiliate side, you know, there's some great affiliates out there, but there are some affiliates that, you know, could be problematic. And it's important that if you are using affiliates as a traffic source, that you manage them accordingly. You should have either an affiliate manager or somebody that, you know, they can, that checks up on them and checks up on their practices and what they're doing. Ultimately, even though affiliates are bringing you traffic and they're, you know, getting your customers, you're responsible for that because you're processing that transaction. So if your affiliates are misrepresenting you or, or, or making false claims or anything like that, the FTC and, and your processor and so forth, you know, ultimately blame you because you're supposed to be watching what they're doing. So a huge part of, you know, managing chargebacks and managing refunds and, and minimizing them is understanding where they're coming from. And if you do rely heavily on affiliates, I highly suggest that you at least on a monthly basis or quarterly, depending on how much of your traffic comes from there, sort out your affiliates by how many transactions they send you, how much volume they send you, how many refunds and how many chargebacks are being sent from that traffic. So you may find that, you know, some of your very good affiliates are actually, you know, causing 10% of your chargebacks. And then you may decide that, you know, in addition to their the commission that you're paying them and the risk that they're bringing in and, and chargebacks, it may not be worth supporting these affiliates for whatever reasons, or you may want to tell them that they need to change their practices. So, you know, analyze your traffic, figure out, you know, who's sending you or what traffic source is sending you those chargebacks, and then dig into that traffic source and try to fix it. A lot of times these things are, you know, maybe something is, is not dialed in on the ad or it, it could be misunderstood or whatever the case is, and it, it could be an easy fix. So those are essentially the top five things that you can do proactively. And I'm pretty sure if you implement two or three of these uh, within the next couple of months, you'll see a huge decrease in your chargebacks. And, you know, obviously the, the end result of that is, you know, between two to 8% more money in your pocket. If you can lower those to a minimum amount where you're getting very, very few chargebacks. And obviously these approaches, 
will not only help you prevent chargebacks, but they'll also help you prevent refunds because, you know, obviously you don't want to refund customers either. You want to try to keep that revenue as much as possible, offering customers free product or, or, you know, some kind of bonus that keeps the money in your company and just gives them something that may not cost you very much like content or access to something is, is a better solution than, than pursuing refunds. So keep those in mind, AI type uh, software like count or, or those fraud prevention tools, gateway fraud settings, 3d secure your customer service, testing your descriptor, and then analyzing your traffic. You know, make sure you do those. Obviously, these are a lot of things to do, but, you know, plan them out for 2021 and and, and smash them. And, and that could, you know, give you some extra revenue to, to place more ads and get more volume in the long run. Now, like I said before, there is no way to prevent 100% of chargebacks and refunds. They're, they will always occur. The above approaches that I mentioned were really to minimize them. Once a chargeback happens, if you're in a high-risk space, you're in a high-risk business, it's important you know, to understand what are some ways, for example, to kind of recoup some of the money or, or what can you do you know, to, to minimize the losses after the chargebacks occur. So there's a couple of things. Now, this is a reactive approach. It could be seen as a reactive and a proactive approach, but it's called alert systems. And alert systems like Ethica, Verify, or CDRN, it's called. And then there's VMPI, which is the Visa MasterCard Purchase inquiry. These are proactive approaches in the way that the transaction gets refunded before it becomes a chargeback. But I consider it a little bit of a reactive approach, not a proactive approach. And let me explain why. The Ethica or Verify or the VMPI alert costs, you know, between $25 and $40, depending on who you're working with. So you will get charged that fee in addition to losing likely the money of the transaction. So if you get, for example, an ethical alert comes in, you'll get clipped $30, $40 for that. And then if your transaction is like $50, obviously you'll lose that. So I feel like it's a, a little bit of a reactive approach because it's still a very expensive thing to have to pay for this alert. Obviously, if you're a high-risk merchant and you need to keep your chargeback rates as low as possible, which most merchants do, you know, this is a really good tool. But I think the steps that I outlined before are more important because that'll prevent you from paying that fee in the first place for, for the alert. So if you're in supplements or, or adult or dating at high-risk industry, these are you know, just extra insurances and you should, you should sign up for them. And they are very good tools to use because at least, you know, you won't have any issues with your processors and it'll keep your chargebacks in line. But the bigger issue is, you know, ultimately preventing chargebacks. So uh, it, it, it's important to use the, the, the steps that I mentioned above and to add these types of tools to minimize the possible problems that you may have. Now, the reason that I'm really harping on this particular point is because not only are alerts expensive, but a lot of times there are, you know, false positives. Like, for example, if you're a U.S. merchant and you're billing somebody in the U.K., it's considered a foreign transaction. So it could sometimes trigger an alert if the U.K. customer never buys anything from somebody foreign, even if it's a legitimate transaction. It could be that he called his bank just to ask what it was, and then boom, you get an alert and you think, oh, this could be a potential chargeback, so you refund it. Most of the times, these alerts, the action that you take is that you refund because you know that's that's the way that you're surely going to prevent the chargeback. So keep in mind, you know, yes, these alert systems are really good and they're effective tools, but 
you know, take the steps to clean up your processes and rely on this as little as possible. Then again, if you're, you know, talking about reactive approaches and things that you can do to kind of recoup your funds, there are a lot of chargeback dispute companies. So essentially the chargeback comes in, you get it and you can dispute it to win it back. There's, there's a legitimate use case for this. Uh, obviously, you know, disputing it and getting your money back isn't something to sneeze at, you know, 100 or 150, whatever your, your your price points are and your ticket sizes are. You have to keep in mind, this is really expensive. What I mean by that is, for example, you get a chargeback, let's say you get charged $25 for the chargeback from your processor and you lose the funds. So let's say, again, your ticket is $50. So that's already $75 gone. And then if you use a chargeback dispute company, there's different business models. Some of them will charge you a percentage of the money that they win back. And some will charge you a per dispute fee. So every transaction they dispute, they charge you, you know, eight, nine, $10, whatever the case is. Now you've lost $75. You're paying another, let's say 10 bucks to dispute it. And then sometimes your processor charges you a chargeback reversal fee. So if you win it back or if you dispute it, they charge you a fee. So you have to keep in mind that these companies, obviously they're good because you don't want to kind of lay down um, and say, you know, let anybody charge back. I'm never going to dispute it. But you have to keep in mind that the cost is starting to add up to certain times when your processor is also charging you a reversal fee where it doesn't even make business sense to do that. And a lot of processors do it. They either charge it as a chargeback fee. So you could be looking at your statement saying, oh, I'm not getting charged a reversal fee, but take a look at your processor statement and take a look at how many chargebacks you've gotten and how many chargeback fees you're getting charged. So let's say you have 10 chargebacks, but then you look at chargeback fees and it says 14 times 25. Well, guess what? If you've disputed four transactions, your processor is just charging you another an extra chargeback fee. So you have to really look at your statements and really understand what you're being charged. Because at the end of the day, if your transactions are like $30, $40, $50, and you get charged two chargeback fees, one for the chargeback, one for the reversal, plus a dispute management fee from a company, it sometimes may not just be worth it. You might want to just accept the chargeback and move on. So, you know, do a full analysis of what you're paying uh, talk to your processor. Sometimes they're willing to remove these types of fees, explain to them that you, you want to dispute the chargebacks that you think are, are not legitimate. And they may be, they may be open to that, but first you have to have the information. So take a look at that and see what you can do to minimize fees. If you, if you dispute last but not least, and something that's really, really important. And once a customer has charged back or refunded, depending on the situation about the refund, that could be, you know, that could be kind of understood in different ways. As a merchant, you can decide that some refunds are worth you banning the customer for and others are not. So if a customer charges back a transaction, in my opinion, that card and that customer should be banned from buying from you. So, you know, merchants forget to do this and then they get caught again a couple of months later with the same customer having the same complaint and so forth and then charging back again. Once you get your chargebacks, let's say on a weekly basis, ideally on a daily basis, you should have somebody from your team go in there and block that customer from ever buying from you again. Don't just block the card number, block his email address. So block anything that could be unique to him or her. So, you know, email is unique. You can say maybe phone number if you collect them. 
and definitely card number. So those three or four, whatever unique elements that you collect from your customers, you should definitely be blocking them so they are not able to buy from you again, just preventing them from, from doing that. And for refunds, if a customer calls in and wants a refund, if he complains or threatens to charge back and so forth, that's something that you have to consider, but you may want to block some customers that call in for refunds so you can avoid disputes later on. So these are things that you know a lot of merchants forget to do, but it's really important because a lot of times it's the same customers that charge back and come into your cart and buy different things and just charge back and charge back because they get away with it. So they figure, why not? Q1 of every year is always the highest chargeback year, uh, chargeback period, because it's the post holiday crunch, right? So a lot of customers, you know, kind of go crazy during Christmas and spend a lot of money and then they get their credit card statements in January and February and realize like, oh, this is a lot of money. I can't afford this and so forth. So, you know, unfortunately, merchants suffer from this because some customers could see as some non-essential purchases as chargeback worthy. So keep in mind, you know, Q1 is a really important time that you have to put all these measures in place for, and you have to make sure that, you know, your, your product delivery, your shipping times, your customer service, everything is dialed in to prevent as much as possible of your fraud and your chargebacks. That's essentially the gist of this episode. I just wanted to do a quick rundown and give you guys some tools and some some obvious things that you should be looking at. I know a lot of you already do some of this in your shopping cart and in your businesses, but you know, take a note of all, all of these. And like I said at the beginning of the episode, you know, if you're making changes to your shopping cart or if you're uh, if you're adding tools, it's good to have. You know, I used to have like as a merchant a, an Excel spreadsheet where I would just put in what I would change and the date that I changed it, because then a couple of weeks later or or whatever the case is, if something breaks, I can say, oh, look at that. I added, you know, uh, gateway fraud settings and now all of a sudden my conversions went down 3%. So you could, you know, at least understand what you're doing that may be breaking something or maybe fixing something. So keep that in mind, document, have Excel spreadsheets with dates and, and stuff like that. So you can see whether you're doing something that's positive or negative for your, for your cart. That's it for today. I hope you guys really enjoyed this episode. I I do try every week to bring you something that will save you money or make you money. So if you have any ideas or you you want specific information about chargebacks, I'm happy to do another episode and really dive into chargeback reason codes and so forth. Just drop me a line or send me an email, whatever the case is, and I'd be happy to cover that for you. Thanks again for tuning in and have yourself a great day. Hope you found today's session valuable. If you have any questions for me or just want to connect, please feel free to visit my website, mariasparagis.com. That's M-A-R-I-A-S-P-A-R-A-G-I-S.com. I'd love to hear what you're working on. So drop me a line on any hot button issues your business is experiencing. And remember, don't worry about failure. You only have to be right once. 